Thank you for tuning in to the Practical Preservation Podcast. Please take a moment to visit our website, practicalpreservationservices.com, for additional information and tips to help you restore your historical home. If you've not done so, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and also like us on Facebook. Welcome to the Practical Preservation Podcast, hosted by Danielle and Jonathan Kepperling. Kepperling Preservation Services is a family-owned business based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, dedicated to the preservation of our built architectural history for today's use as well as future generations. Our weekly podcast provides you with expert advice specific to the unique needs of renovating a historic home, educating by sharing our from-the-trenches preservation knowledge and our guests' expertise, balancing modern needs while maintaining the historical significance, character, and beauty of your period home. Today on the Practical Preservation Podcast, we have uh, Lisa Ostreicher with us from, um, what is, I'm sorry, what is the name of your company? Um, it's just known as Lisa Ostreicher, Architectural Paint Research. Okay, very good, thank you. Um, so tell me a little bit about your background. I, uh, I'm Canadian by birth and, and raised in Canada. And I uh, did a fine art course in Canada at a university. And uh, when I decided that what I really wanted to do was go into historic building conservation, uh, there was no course in, in Canada. Uh, so it was a choice between either going to the States, uh, to New York, or to uh, come to London. And uh, I lived here in London uh, briefly as a child, so it, it felt um, more of an adventure. So I came over here um, and, and then I graduated, got a job in, in local government, uh, working with historic buildings and legislation. And um, eventually retrained at the Victoria and Albert Museum to do specifically architectural paint research. Okay. And uh, what, what, what took you from the, your fine art background into preservation? Well, um, I suppose a realization I was never going to be a great 20th century artist. <laughs> um, and also realization is that not really where my passion lay, lay with historic buildings. But it took me a long time to realize that because I think if I'd grown up in England, it's, it's um, an avenue that people go down. Right. Uh, people go out on their Sunday to National Trust properties. It's very much part of the culture, but less so in, in Canada. Um, so actually it was a, a, a friend when I you know, realized I wasn't gonna go forward with what at that point was sculpture. A friend of mine turned around and said, well, you've always liked old buildings, why don't you do something with that? And it was, you know, penny dropping moment. Yeah. But um, certainly in this country, people come from all different avenues. I mean, we have uh, architects, we have architectural historians, um, uh, people who were sculptors, and everyone brings something slightly different to the table, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, which is very useful. Uh, but there isn't 
because there's a few of us, there isn't like one path that we've all gone right. down. Yeah. And do, doing the, um, doing the podcast over the past few years, you know, this is one of my typical questions. I've noticed that most people do not have a straight path into, into historic preservation. You know, a lot of people do have art backgrounds, but you know, there's a lot of different ways that, that people, um, people get into, get into it, but then they, they do, they find their passion and they're, you know, they, they are, they are uh, happier because they have found it. So um, tell me about architectural paint research. Well, um, it's, a, it's a recognized field of, of conservation. Um, I think of it more as archeology span mm -hmm. in that you're working with the evidence which the building contains itself. And we use a lot of the same methods that were developed for archeology span and developed also for painting conservation, where we're going into the building, we're taking very small samples right. of all the decoration down to the substrate. And uh, we're comparing those with the history mm -hmm. of the building and trying to build up an idea of how a room uh, or a series of rooms developed both physically and decoratively. Um. When you do that, then do you use I, I'm assume, do you use computers to to run like the analysis, or is it mostly like microscopes, or how do you? Yeah, I mean the the process is you you do architectural his, the history beforehand, so you right. know when right. you arrive on site, you, you know the building history and its development line. Um, you then take uh, the samples, you bring them back to the studio. They're set in resin. And then their cross sections are made by polishing them. Okay. So if you think of it as a as a sandwich, you cut the sandwich in yes. half, and, and you then get you the lettuce. Yeah. And uh, just as in archaeology, if you find a Roman coin from 56 AD in a particular strata, you know that everything in that strata is from uh, you know approximately that date or or later. Right. Uh, we have uh, pigments in architectural paint research and many pigments have dates of introduction. Yeah. So French ultramarine, 1828, you know that everything, uh, if you find that in a paint mixture, it's not gonna be earlier than that date. Right. And then you cross-reference with the architectural history and oh, in 1846, there was a marriage. Right. It tends to be births, marriage, purchase. Um, that, that and if people really, update, right? Yeah. If you're really, really lucky, um, you've got, you're in a country house and they have excellent records, right. uh, bills of trade, et cetera, uh, or description, Horace Walpaper, uh, Walpole was, you know, in the room and described in his diary that it was a shocking blue. <laughs> well, <laughs> you've got a sea of different cream decorations and one blue and you can, you know, start to make those connections. Right. Yes. Well, that sounds very, um, very interesting to me. Do you, um, to, is that your primary service or do you offer other services um, with your, with your paint research? Um, no, I think um, I mean, I'm fully capable, capable of doing the uh, historical research myself, um, but the, um, I suppose, just the reality of the market is that um, an organization like Historic World Palaces will have uh, architectural historians right. on board already. So I tend to, to not do that. Um, 
I do, if, if for instance, it's um, the analysis is done because they want to re-represent the room, there's a re-representation. Um, it's not good enough for me to say, oh, that was a warm blue followed by right. you know, white uh, moldings. It's often very uh, useful for me to come back on site once I know the stratigraphy pattern of decoration and go back to a specific scheme that the client's interested in, uncover it. And because I know the materials used, I know how they will have decayed over time. Right. So if it's a, a light paint with uh, in linseed and then was varnished, I will understand that it will have darkened over time. But right. so when I color match, I will take that into consideration. And then do and you, oh, I was, do you color match then with a modern paint or do you typically recommend like a historic paint? Well, um, that's a minefield. Uh, <laughs> I, I color match in, in artist acrylics okay. because it's very fast drying and I might be on a building site with an awful lot of dust and right. I'm perched up on a scaffold and, and I need them to dry before I go home. Right. Um, and then the reason I'm using artist quality is we're hoping that they don't fade over right. time because they themselves become a, a, a document that goes into, into the history of the, the building. Um, then the next step is um, there are a few paint shops that, that have very uh, sophisticated photo spectrometers that can um, uh, take a reading of my swatch of color, uh, put that reading into a paint matching, uh, paint producing right. machine and out come the paint. And that's a very specific paint. And so for an organization like Historic Royal Palaces or the National Trust, um, they will go to those lengths in order that they got a very bespoke color, which was applied um, in 1845. Right. Other projects uh, where there might be, I've been working on a Napoleonic fort, which is perched up on a, on a hill in Cornwall, and it's just going to get a complete battering. And they know that from the wind and the rain right. and the sun, and they know that they're going to be redecorating every three years. Right. So um, I've I've actually uh, matched it to a RAL, RAL colors, where which is very easy. They can go to any paint shop in the, right. in the land, right. and and they can have the the paint reproduced. Yeah. And, and so within modern finishes, you're trying to find a finish that will echo um, uh, a traditional lead-based paint. Mm -hmm. So you know, you'd probably go more towards an eggshell. Right. And we're very lucky in Britain. We have people that can produce lime wash, that produce distempers, and they know how to apply it to the building. Yeah, that is. And and the, the finishes are such a... Um, that's very important to have like the, you know, you don't want the glossy, you don't want, they, that's a struggle because a lot of the modern paints are. And so I, I'm glad that you mentioned that. Um, and you've mentioned some of your notable projects. Are there any that, you, that you'd like to, to discuss or to share? Uh, probably the most exciting for me personally uh, was William Morris's Red House, which I worked on for over a, a 10, 11 year period. Um, it was William Morris's 
a marital home. And uh, he moved in in the 1860s. He stayed there for a very short period of time, but he would have his his friends down, people like Edward Byrne Jones and Rossetti and uh, Lizzie Siddle, they would come down and they would paint the walls. And so we were able to over, along with the wall painting conservator um, and various other people like the curator, uncover some of the original decoration wall murals. And and that was really exciting. Oh, that is, that is. Yeah, so that's great because that's a sense of discovery. Yeah. Um, other buildings are always fun working with the National Trust, I suppose, because uh, philosophically we're on the, the, the same level, historic right. policy palaces as well. Um, uh, they, they are willing to go that extra mile to um, have accurate uh, conservation. Yeah. And they themselves are incredibly knowledgeable. Oh, that yeah that, that it's always nice when you have a client that like appreciates what you're doing and like understands it not they, they don't just they're not just upset that you that it's not going as fast as they think it should <laughs> yeah well I was on site last week um uh at a Victorian market hall in in a, a Welsh town and um because I love working with metalwork absolutely adore I have no understanding why but I just just love uh, Victorian Market Hall to me is just very very happy experience but the uh, project manager turned to me and said oh this is just a box ticking ticking exercise <laughs> and your heart just sings you think, oh. I'm still going to do a professional job but I don't think anyone's going to read this oh the council had asked him to do it yeah. So maybe at the, someone at the council will, will read it and they'll right. file it and people will know that about the building. They'll, yeah, they'll at least have that history. So I, I noticed when I was preparing for, for our, our conversation today that you have written for numerous um, publications and topics. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Uh, well, um, I, I lecture as well, um, but... Uh, I think that architectural paint research is quite an obscure specialized field. So very often I'm actually uh, talking about what exactly it is or writing about, you know, how this can be a very useful tool to the conservator. Um, Or I'll do more specific articles about graining techniques in the 19th century and how they change, change from the 18th and the 17th century because their visual appearance was radically different as we go through time. Right. Um, and materials probably changed less other than more pigments were introduced. Um, but they were trying to achieve very different things in the 17th century than they were in the, in the mid, mid 19th century. Visually? Visually, because in the 17th century, it was more like an impression of wood. And and some of the finishes are just wild. I mean, (laughs) they're they're, uh, very freewheeling and and, um, elaborate. Well, in the 19th century, they they were trying to reproduce the wood very often. To make it look Uh, like wood. To make it look like wood. Yeah. 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 That's very interesting. 
that's something that I don't know a lot of. I've seen different grainies and some, I mean, if it's good, you, it's hard to tell the difference. <laughs> yeah. 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 So what are um, some of the common mistakes that you've seen that people make when choosing historic paint colors? I, I think we have to make this division between what's an historic color and what's an historic paint. Okay. An historic paint, uh, if it's an oil paint and it's the 18th century, is most likely a linseed, mm -hmm. uh, lead-based paint, uh, linseed oil. Um, and uh, it's toxic. Right. And not only that, uh, it's been banned in Europe. Mm -hmm. England has an exemption uh, for grade two star and grade one listed buildings, so the finest buildings. However, there's new health and safety leg uh, legislation that came in a few years ago that make it almost impossible for the manufacturer to supply yeah. it. So that, or you're using a distemper or you're using a, a lime wash, um, and they have very different uh, finishes and very different appearances. So uh, lead-based oil paint's been taken out of the picture. Right. If you're using a modern equivalent, you need to find a finish that will most closely replicate that. And if you're uh, looking at a cross section and it's an oil paint or um, uh, recently a project, it was a distemper for a nursery, but then they covered it in varnish because they've got little tiny hands right. so they're gonna muck it up. So, um, that is a, an unusual finish, um, but you would want to start with a, a very, very matte emulsion if you're not going to go down the distemper route. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to create quite um, a, a, a high gloss finish by adding varnish. So um, yeah. I think that's as important as color, because when you walk into a, a restored interior, it has to has to feel right. right. It's never going to be the same if you're not using exactly the same materials. But a lot of those materials we don't want to use anymore. Right. That's that's very true. Was the varnish also applied um, to make it shinier for like low light? Like when we were just using candlelight, was that also another, or was that not? Was it more just to protect? In this particular instance, I think it was more a sanitary thing. It yeah. was a, a series. It was a series of a nursery wing, okay. which was south facing. Yeah. So I don't think it was in that instance issue. I think for reflection of light, um, gilding was used, uh, and you find a lot of gilding in in theaters. Oh yeah. Of course, an 18th century theater, the audience is as illuminated as the stage oh, yeah. because everything is by candlelight. Yeah, I never even thought about that. That's very true. Yeah. So, and then you might use a, a lighter paint as well, which is going to reflect the paint more. Yeah. yeah. I think varnish also helps to, to give depth and that's why you find it in, in graining. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That make it pop out, yeah. So um, what um, trends or challenges do you see in preservation? Uh, well, I think um, probably the greatest threat to preservation is too much money <laughs> in that um, uh, when I work in an area like Mayfair in London, uh, everyone has to have 
an internal lift and, and a swimming pool in the basement. Oh, and we're God. talking, we could be talking about early Georgian buildings. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. So that's probably the greatest destroyer in my view. I've worked in, I've walked into 18th century buildings in Chinatown, which until the 1950s were, you know, used more or less as bordellos and no one was concerned about the decoration. Right. You find more original joinery there than you would over generations of yeah. upgrades. Yeah. Um, I think in with your, if you're working in historic interiors, you're fighting that battle for the interior to be recognized as important rather than facade retention and everything behind it goes. Yeah, there's a there's a neighborhood in Philadelphia right around Independence Hall um, that it's it's you know from that time period like mid 1700s to to the early 1800s and the it's protected as a historic district so the facades are all protected but the insides have all been gutted I and mean, we we worked on a house on one street and it was the only street that still it was the only house on that street that still had its original interior. Um, and it's, was it given any particular uh, protection? No, no. The, pe no. the people bought it. People bought it 50 years ago and just never wanted to change it. And all the other houses around them had been sold in that time and and just got it. So yeah, I think that I think that is a that is a because I think you lose you 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 do you retain the exterior, but you lose the historic value when you when you rip out all the historic fabric. Mm -hmm. And also, it, sometimes it's not even historic. Fabric, you're losing the um, the plan form of the house. Oh, that's that's also true. Yeah. And once you lose the, lose the plan form, the way it's laid out, you lose a lot of the social history. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, because in these houses, the the kitchens were all in the basement. Well, most people don't want to go down to the kitchen or go down the basement to cook now. So you know that that's all changing. Yeah. So I definitely. Yeah. So did you have um, any offers for our listeners? Or I, you said you do lectures. Are you doing anything? Uh, no, not doing anything okay. at the moment. I'm listening to a lot of lectures okay. on Zoom. Um, and I'll do a, a, a plug. I belong to Institute of Conservation, um, the historic interior section. And we'll be having uh, a series of lectures coming up. Uh, it's all on the ICON, as it's called, website um, in England, and uh, we'll be talking about Clandon, which is a National Trust property that, that burned down, and how they are going, the National Trust is going to approach its, its conservation when they've lost the, the core of the house. Um, and then we're going to have, um, in the following year, um, uh, conference on historic libraries, which is a, a topic which is often overlooked. Well, very good. I will um, make sure that those are listed um, on the on our webpage where the where the podcast lives. So how can how can our um, listeners contact you? Well, um, I've got a website, which is um, www.historicpaint.com. And another fantastic um, portal, if you like, into conservation in Britain is something called the Building Conservation Directory. And it's got a website, which is 
buildingconservation.com. And there you will find all the craftspeople that work in conservation in Britain, as well as all the schools, the educational institutions and upcoming events on the website. It, It is printed in physical form. There's something called the directory, but all that information is replicated on the website. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you so much for um, sharing your, your knowledge with me today. I really, I feel like I learned, I learned something and I, I hope that you, you enjoyed our conversation also. Oh, it did. Yes. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Practical Preservation Podcast. The resources discussed during this episode are on our website at practicalpreservationservices.com forward slash podcast. If you received value from this episode and know someone else that will get value from it as well, please share it with them. Join us next week for another episode of the Practical Preservation Podcast. For more information on restoring your historic home, visit practicalpreservationservices.com.